Thank you, worship team. Don't they do a good job? Uh, I've been in church a long time, ever since I was a young child, and uh, these guys are good. So we're very thankful for them. Well, today we're looking at Psalm 34. You know, I used to think that glasses were for old people. Now I know they are. <laughs> yeah, I, I heard you're supposed to start out a sermon with a joke. So, uh, knock, knock. Uh, interrupting cow. Moo. You know, uh, telling a joke, you, you have to kind of have it in the right timing and things like that. So if you don't say moo at the right point, then uh, you just don't get it. So if I tell a joke and say, uh, eight because I can't eat 12. Like, uh, no, there's this guy who was ordering pizza, and the guy, pizza guy asked him, how many pieces do you want to cut it in? Do you want to cut it in eight, or do you want to cut it in 12? Eight, because I can't eat 12. All right, you got the punchline. Well, when is it not a good time to praise the Lord? Never. Okay, you don't need the right timing in all, the, all, the, all circumstances. You don't need to figure out when is it a good time to praise the Lord. Uh, it's always a good time to praise the Lord. And our psalm starts out today, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make us boast in the Lord. And that's where we're starting today. Uh, a life of worship and blessing and praise to Almighty God is a life worth living. It puts in us a good mood, it puts us in a good mood and supplies positive attitudes and many other wonderful dispositions. It can be a balm to the sick and dying. It is a courage to the warrior and perseverance to the mother with children and to the father each morning as he goes to work. What it really does is put God in his rightful place and us too as offenders to a holy God, but also as fully adopted children, rightful heirs of the throne of grace. So as we look at our psalm today, uh, Psalm 34, his praise shall continually be in my mouth. Uh, this is one of 14 psalms with a historical, connected to a historical event. And you have on your Bible superscriptions, they call them. Uh, they're kind of like introductions. Now, not the, not the kind of commentary that says, oh, this is a psalm of praise, or, or this is... Uh, uh, it will quote one of the main phrases in the psalm. No, it will say, this one here will say, uh, a psalm of David when he feigned madness before Abimelech who drove him away and he departed. Some will say this is a maskil of David or certain, for a certain type of instruments. Those superscriptions were given to about 116 psalms and they're considered, they're not a part of the psalm, but they're considered actual official uh, biblical uh, introductions to those. So when we look at these, we can say, yeah, these are true. Uh, it's not necessarily what we call scripture, but, it, but they're accurate in what, they, in what they say. So today we have a psalm uh, for David when he feigned madness and uh, before Abimelech, uh, the Philistine king, and he drove him away and he departed. Uh, it's a very low time in David's life. So we'll look a little bit about where he was coming from. David was fleeing from Saul. 
the one who wanted to kill him. And he has to flee so quickly that uh, he doesn't even take a sword or have any food with him. And so as he's running away, he stops by Ahimelech, the priest, and he says, uh, do you have any food? He says, yeah, I have some here, all right, but it's a special food. And then he goes, uh, do you have a sword? He didn't even bring a sword to them. It's a very urgent message. So he's running away, fleeing from Saul. He doesn't have food, doesn't have a sword. So he gives him the sword of Goliath. And then he flees to the city of Gath. Mm-hmm. Now, who was from Gath? Goliath was from Gath, yeah. And Achis, of course, is where he goes, the king. Uh, Goliath was from Gath. And so now David has Goliath's sword. Mm-hmm. And he's fleeing to Gath. And now what does he do? Okay. And on Psalm uh, 56, there's another historical thing that says, when David was seized by the people of Gath. So maybe the same situation, that he was seized. He was taken captive almost. And in order to kind of rescue uh, the situation, and by God's divine providence, he feigns madness. He drools down his beard, and he scribbles on the gates and the doors. You can read that in 1 Samuel 21. And so David feigns madness, and Achis says, uh, you know, uh, do I need more madmen to come and, and act stupid before me? He goes, no, send him away. And so David escapes by God's providence. And it's, it's, a, it's a very low time. And they actually say, uh, isn't this guy about who they sang? David, Saul's killed his thousands, but David's killed his... Ten thousand? Yeah, okay, this is one of our enemies. Let's um, mm-hmm, take care of him. The king says no. So, and that's of the Lord's doing. Uh, so, yeah, he's in a low spot. Now, David is in a fort. He has to ask crazy in order not to be killed. He drools and he tags and on the gates. He graffitis and he lets uh, spit run down his face. Yeah, uh, I don't think I've ever had to do that to get out of anything. Uh, have you? Uh, I've never had to really hardly run away to escape death. David was there, and he was low. He's alone, maybe hungry, and he's got a sword, but you know, it's, he brought the wrong weapon. Uh, maybe he should have brought a different sword. Now, as we're looking at the historical situation here, you should be saying to yourself, uh, you know, it doesn't say Akish in the superscription. It says Abimelech. Is that correct? Yes, it says Abimelech. It doesn't say Akis. And uh, the commentators here say that uh, it's kind of like calling someone Caesar or Pharaoh or uh, a czar. Okay, it's called an Ab- the Abimelech of Gath. So it's like it's, it's the ruling, it's the name of the, the, what they call the king there. Of Gath, so it is correct, but they're calling him the Abimelech, the king of Gath, and so we can uh, still call Scripture true and and right. Now he writes this as an acrostic poem, acrostic song, meaning that uh, there's 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet, and there's 22 verses in our psalm this morning, and each one is a letter of the alphabet, the Hebrew alphabet, except. Number six or seven is missing, but the last one is doubled, and that's for certain uh, poetic effect. It's like saying, uh, 
I'm going to write a Shakespearean sonnet, and it's going to be 15 lines of iambic pentameter. And you're looking at me with crossed eyes. What? Okay, is this a certain meter and a certain rhyme? And that's, that's how he was doing it. It's, it's penned by a poet. It's not the stream of consciousness. It's not just what I'm feeling for the moment. He sat down and he intelligently wrote these out and penned them for us this morning. So let's take a look at our psalm this morning and read it together. Psalm 34. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble will hear it and rejoice. O magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked to him and were radiant, and their faces will never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. O oh, fear the Lord, you his saints." For to those who fear him, there is no want. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they who seek the Lord shall not be in want of any good thing. Come, children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Who is the man who desires life and loves the length of days that he may see good? Well, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears are open to their cry. But the face of the Lord is against evildoers to cut off the memory of them from the earth. The righteous cry, and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the soul of his servants, and none of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. So the first section of our psalm, first three verses, invitation to praise. Come and praise with me. Okay? He blesses and he speaks of honoring and revering the Lord. It's almost like he's saying, come and honor the Lord with me and let us sing his praise together. Okay? He blesses the Lord. Can, we, can God really benefit from our blessing? I mean, does he feel good about himself now that we told him he was a good guy? Yeah. No, not really. Uh, but he calls us to bless him. We honor him. And as we bless God, we, we denote, we list, we... we put forth the things that he has done. And that's how we honor someone. We, we say the good things that they've done. And the Lord has a right monopoly on his creature's praise. We owe him praise. We owe him everything. And uh, as David writes this, notice he doesn't say, hey, uh, you know, God gave me this cool idea and I acted nutso and I saved myself. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, oh, yeah, I had this cool idea and God saved me. No. He just says, this poor man cried and the Lord heard. Okay. So he rightly puts all the praise toward God and saves none for himself. Our thankfulness is not a, a mute thing. It's not a silent thing. It's vocal. 
It should be one of the daughters of music. Our tongues should be a blessing, a blessed mouthful of praise to God. Boasting is a natural, but our boasting is not in ourselves. It's in the one and only true God. The depth and praise of his worship is unfathomable. The scope is amazing. Uh, we praise the Lord, his person, his attributes, his promises, his works. They're uncomparable, unparalleled, they're matchless. We can exaggerate them as much as we want and never be considered vain in our praise. And that's the God we serve. He's always with us and he's always for us. Come sing in the joy of the universe, an everlasting song, one that never dies, never gets tired, it grows, never grows old or runs low, never has to put on glasses nor to see it right. A song that is fitting for the individual, the married family, the small group, the local church, the church at large, and indeed the entire world itself. Well, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Next three verses, four verses, uh, verses four through seven. Uh, now, like I said, I've acted crazy before, but I haven't done it to try to save my life. And so remember, David is remembering this situation. It's a memorial looking back at that. And so looking at the next three verses, four, five, and six, they're kind of parallel here. Okay? I sought the Lord, and he answered me, delivered me from all my fears. They looked at him and were radiant. Their face on me never be the same. So look at, the, look at those three verses, 4, 5, and 6, and look at the beginning phrase. I sought the Lord. They looked to him. This poor man cried. Okay, okay notice uh, we as people are calling out to him. Uh, God is calling it. It's not a, it's not a, a modest, oops, I goofed, oh, my bad, uh, knucklehead. Uh, uh, when we are foolish enough to highlight our sin and hide our ego in, under the guise of modesty, uh, it places glory on ourselves and takes it away from God. And then it becomes most immodest. And David simply says, this poor man cries. Okay, so they sought the Lord, they looked to him, this poor man cried. Okay, now look at the second phrases of each of those three verses, 4, 5, and 6. And he heard me. They were radiant. And the Lord heard him. Okay. For God to hear is God to answer. Okay, he hears us, he answers us. It goes right hand in hand. And when he does, indeed we smile. Uh, C.H. Spurgeon says, if sin could blockade the mercy seat of Christ, then it would be all over for us. Well, mercy, but the mercy is that there are gifts, even for the rebellious, and an advocate for all who sin. And that's us. And that's Christ, and that's his mercy for us. That's his answer. He hears us, and we're radiant. That reminds me of Hebrews 13. 5 and 6 says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? And in Luke, 
in chapter 18, 7 and 8, he says, And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. I will praise the Lord at all times. It's always a good time to praise the Lord. Now look at the final phrase. Uh, and delivered me from my fears, and their faces will never be ashamed, and saved out of all his troubles. Okay? This is how God answers. We're saved from our troubles. Very general, but they fit us. We won't be ashamed. He who trusts in God will never be ashamed, though he may seem so. But God, in God's book and by his accounting, it is a glory to him and a deliverance for us without shame. So in God's book, we are not shamed. And since God has taken away our eternal shamefulness, let us never be ashamed to worship and praise the Lord. Let us never be ashamed to not stand up for what's right and for, for what he calls us to. Praise be to God who sweeps the enemy clean. Thus we can sing, My faith looks up to thee, O Lamb of Calvary, Savior divine. Hear me when I pray, take all my sin away. O let me from this day be wholly thine. You know, sometimes God answers me. I don't always see it. Uh, but when I do, and he delivers me from my fears, What's my response? I hope I am like one of that one of the ten lepers who were healed by Jesus. The one foreigner who came back and gave thanks to God who saved them. Someone pays off a great debt, gives you a million dollars. Here you go, a little extra for you. You don't just, oh, thanks, see ya. Yeah. Uh, no, you nod to them. Thank you. Spend time. Why are you giving this to me? See how God is calling us into relationship by his great blessings? He doesn't just want to forgive our sins. He wants a relationship with us. Verse 7 says, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. It's a little summary of the previous three verses. Maybe in our terms today we might say, Are you kidding me? The host of heaven, the Lord God Almighty, surrounds me and saves those, saves my sorry rear ends. Well, it reminds me of Pastor Craig last week. He talked about Elisha, and the king of Aram was uh, being rather uh, upset by how Elisha was uh, telling what the king says in his bedchambers, and then uh, telling it to the king of Israel, and then so they can guard against the king of Aram. And the king of Aram comes to capture Elisha. And remember what Craig said last week. Yeah, Elisha says in 2 Kings 6, he says, O Lord, pray, I pray, open the eyes that he may see his servant. And he saw, and behold, the mountains were full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And do we not have a Savior who is beset with human troubles? And he has risen to the right hand of God to intercede for us and speak words of peace and protection to us? Yeah, we do. He's with us. Now, he's not like what we might think of a general these days, the five-star general uh, sitting in his office kind of overweight, you know, with all his maps and everything, making out 
making out the choices for you know he's not this overweight guy. No, he's the captain <laughs> of the commanding commander of the Lord of Hosts. And as Jeremiah says uh, in for, in chapter twenty eleven, Jeremiah, he says he is captain of the Lord of Hosts. He says, excuse me, uh, but the Lord is with me like a dread champion. Therefore, my persecutors will stumble and not prevail. They will be utterly ashamed because they have failed. And with an everlasting disgrace, that will not be forgotten. We have a dread champion. We have a commander-in-chief of the Lord of hosts. He just sent one angel, and it killed 185,000 Assyrian soldiers in one night. Yeah, we have a dread champion. The problem is, for me... When the angel of the Lord encamps around me, I don't always see it, like that servant. And I don't always have an Elijah to, Elisha to pray for me, open my eyes. One time, I was uh, leading a backpacking trip, and it was uh, missionaries uh, to the Navajo Nation. And as I was praying the morning before the trip, I was just thinking, Lord, what, what do I have to say as a young man? I was 22, 23 years old. What do I have to say to a bunch of seasoned missionaries who have given their lives to serve you? Uh, how, really? How can I help them grow? How, what, what can I say? Lord, uh, just let me know that this trip is going to be good for them, that you're going to speak. And I was walking around uh, in the field where I was, and I looked down, and there, there's, there's an arrowhead. And I said, oh, wow, cool arrowhead. And I stuck in my pocket, and I left. I see missionaries to the Navajos, they're Indians, they make arrowheads, you know, and I found an arrowhead. I was asking for a sign, Lord, please show me that, th- that you're going to work here. And he gave me that sign, and guess what? <laughs> it took me about three years to recognize that uh, I got that sign. <laughs> like, really? Yeah, at least I got it. Okay, at least I got it. At least I got it. Uh, so we re- need to recognize those signs from God. Okay. Uh, let's move to verse 8. Now, this is starting to the second part of the psalm, and it, it kind of moves from praise into some wisdom teaching here. Although this is a Thanksgiving song, we have some wisdom and instruction uh, for fearing Yahweh. It's a call to see for yourself. He's, also, he's already asked us, come join me, oh magnified Lord with me. He's always asked us to come and join him. And now he says, I want you to come closer. I want you to taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. You can just kind of read the psalm over and over to yourself and, and get more out of it each time. You know, I like what Don Collins says. Uh, he says, I look over to where he's sitting there. Yeah. Uh, he says, God has no grandchildren because he wants you to taste and see his salvation for yourself. And David says the same thing here. You come, taste and see, experience and understand. So we taste it and see, but we also, we're part of that, and we understand it in our soul, and it becomes part of us, and we believe. David finds that God is good and invites us to join him again. It isn't just deliverance. It's not just a rescue. It's not just getting that money. It says, taste and see, and God wants a relationship with us. And as you look and and you don't read that into Scripture. You pull it out of Scripture. God wants relationship with those he saves. He just doesn't want to bail us out. He wants to be there with us. 
Taking refuge in God isn't just a one-time thing. We are hiding in his shelter. It's like holding up in the stronghold of God. It's akin, like I said, to paying off a huge debt and not running, but having a relationship with that same person. Not for the money, although they can maybe give us a whole lot more. It's because we love them, because they cared for us. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they who seek the Lord shall not be in want of any good thing. Young lions are strong. They're agile. They're the powerful ones of the group. Maybe not the experienced ones, but those strong, sharp, agile lions are hungry. But we as God's children are not. I think I might have missed a page here. We'll see. All right. Uh, okay. And now, uh, you kind of ask a hard question because it says, uh, they who seek the Lord will not be in want of any good thing. Does that mean to get my cell phone? Where's my cell phone? That's a good thing, right? Oh, wait, 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 wait. Ah. Well, this is the real thing. Yeah? And I'm going to make you all thirsty right now by opening this up and drinking some. You know, this might satisfy me for a minute. But it's empty. What satisfies my soul and what delivers me from eternal shame is Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. And so we have to ask the hard question. You know, he will give us everything we need. But why do we need rescuing if he's going to give us everything we need? I like asking these hard questions. It sends me on a tangent and it makes me really wrestle. Sometimes I can't answer them. But we've got to wrestle with these things and ask, well, what about you know, Dave Moore? Why did he have to die? Really? Believe me, I prayed for him, and I was hoping for a miracle. The Lord delivers us out of our sorrows, out of our pain. You know, we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for us. Yes, Matthew 6.33, good good one, Dave, but, uh, you know, I'm kind of hungry. Is it time for lunch yet? Oh, wait, it says here, I won't suffer hunger. Wait a minute. Scripture not true? Well, it is true. But just because God promises deliverance doesn't mean an exemption from life's trials. Just because he promises deliverance doesn't mean we have an exemption from life's trials. Even when Jesus was here, you suffered. He was like us. And it says he suffered in every way, tempted in every way, without sin. Okay? So we have hope in that. And you can look at 2 Corinthians 4. And, you know, Paul talks about, you know, being despair but not losing heart. And he talks about all these things. And then he says, therefore, we do not lose heart, uh, 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18, 
He says, uh, therefore we do not lose heart, though the outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is be re being renewed day by day for momentary light affliction. Momentary. And by the way, it's light. Affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory, far beyond all comparison. While we look at the things which are seen, uh, excuse me, uh, we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things that are seen are temporal, but the things that are not seen are eternal. Really? Like uh, those who are in jail, those who are beaten, families are separated, people are killed, martyred? Momentary light affliction, because it's an eternal weight of glory that God says, you know what? I think you can handle this, and you can do it with me. We're going to suffer this, and then it's going to be over. And then you will have an eternal weight of glory coming from the Lord God Almighty. I think that's pretty good. There is the answer. Throughout eternity, and the promises will come true at the culmination of the age because God will prove God is faithful. We're at war. We're at war, and that's what's trying to pull us down. And this is no mindless, mindless babbling rabble. It's the host of hell, darkness, born of deception, an evil philosophy, breeding in the pit of hell. It is intent on one purpose. It's the eternal destruction of mankind. And therein is our deliverance, eternal deliverance. So we can look past those things and say, yes, God is true and God will deliver. Okay, let's look at verses 11 through 14. He exhorts us to remain faithful. Okay, come children, I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Just as Christ called his disciples, I always thought Christ was kind of being a little bit uh, insulting, you know, calling the disciples children. Really, they're adults. Why do you call them a child? Well, it, kind of in those days, it, it denoted a learner, a follower. So if I called you children, you're obviously not necessarily younger than I am, and you're, I'm not putting you down. I'm just saying, let's learn together. And we are, you're, you're being a student right now. I'm hoping, hoping that I'm teaching you. So it's not an insult. Okay, so he says, calls us children. It's like calling to uh, uh, us as students. He says, I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Okay, so I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What is the fear of the Lord? Think about it. Think in Scripture. What is the fear of the Lord? Think Proverbs. Mm -hmm. It's the beginning of wisdom and knowledge. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Boy, doesn't it all work together? Isn't that nice? Okay, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Okay? So we fear the Lord. Okay? I will teach the fear of the Lord. To fear the Lord means to be submissive to his ways, okay, and attentive to his practices. You just can't say, I believe. You've got to do it, okay? Submissive to God's ways and attentive to his practices. We must practice them. This means to learn his ways and commandments in their deepest and most impressive ways and then do them no matter what. Be purposed in your heart to follow God no matter what. Now, to all the parents and grandparents out there, 
you can be like David. You can say to your children, to your grandchildren, to those you have influence, come, I'll teach you. I'll teach you about the Lord. We teach by what we say and maybe more importantly by what we do. Okay, we're an example to those, to those around us. Okay? So we too can, in word and deed, and by lesson and example, we can be ready in season and out of season because it's always a good time to praise the Lord. Okay? Verse 12, who is the man who desires life and loves the length of days that he may see good? Isn't that everybody? You want to have a good life? Maybe a long life? You want to, yeah, we are, sure. Who doesn't want that? Okay, if you want that, Verse 13 and 14, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Okay, there you go. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Uh, pursue it. Uh, our tongue, our words are very important. Out of the heart flows what we speak. And we know from James... Uh, let's see, verse three, uh, chapter 3, verse 2, it says, For we stumble in many ways. Of course we stumble. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. Hmm. So I can control what I say. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. I don't slander people. I don't put them down. I don't make fun of them. We're all guilty of it. And, and I may be more than most because I see a lot of dumb things out there as a paramedic. Really dumb. All right? And sometimes I'm dumb, okay? So, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I see a lot of that stuff out there. And um, I need to, you know, make sure that I'm not putting myself above them. Okay? Seek peace and pursue it. Turn from evil. That's always one part. Then turn to the good. Seek peace and pursue it. If it takes two to fight, it takes two to have peace. Relationship. Let's have relationship with each other, peaceful relationship, and a relationship with God. He gives us peace. We follow him. We uh, stay to the narrow road, for wide is the gate, and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and many are those who find it. The forbidden fruit looks good, but it brings death. The chorus of song by David Hopkins says, if the grass is greener on the other side, it's only because they feed it and you let yours die. There's a, <laughs> there's a fence in the middle with a gate so wide. Ooh, beware if the grass is greener on the other side. Yeah, okay, thanks, David. That was a good one. David Hopkins. So we follow a God, and we give him praise and glory, and we understand that he makes our grass greener. But we have to have relationship. We have to pursue that peace. We have to understand it's the fear of the Lord that brings about that wisdom and gives us that. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Verse 19, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps, uh, that's verse 20, uh, Look at all the opportunities we have to rely on the Lord and trust in him. What fertile ground is given to cultivate an eternal relationship with our Savior and deliverer. Okay. Afflictions, we have, and we have deliverance. 
Now, I talked about this earlier. Uh, P.H. Craig writes, says, The fear of the Lord is indeed a fountain of life, the key to joy in life, long and happy days. But it is not a guarantee that life will always be easy. It may mend the broken heart, but it does not prevent the heart from being broken. Okay, remember we have an enemy out there. It may restore the spirit to the crust, but it does not crush the forces that may create oppression. You know, those who have experienced great pain, uh, maybe loss of a loved one, a uh, very difficult time in your life, you have a deep well of joy that springs up to eternal life, given to us by God. He calls it living water. And the depth of that hurt and the greatness of that deliverance gives you that joy. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. Hmm. Again, I broke a rib. Does that mean, does that mean I'm not a Christian because I broke a bone? No, again, we're looking at eternal deliverance. If you're a warrior, like David was, and you have a broken bone in battle, if I break my arm, uh, I'm done for. It's curtains. You know, I can't fight much anymore if I break an arm. I only got one arm to swing a sword with. If I break a leg, I, I can't walk around. I'm done for. That's a, that's a mortal wound in battle. Okay? So here, again, we're looking at eternal deliverance. And this is also what uh, the Apostle John says uh, is a prophetic uh, scripture for Jesus because they did not break Christ's legs when he died on the cross. He was already dead, it says, and so they didn't break his legs, which was a way to kind of finish him off. And so this is a prophetic scripture for us, for our Savior, that he kept all of his bones. They did not break break them when he died. Well, let's wrap it all up. We're going to verse 21. Okay, evil shall slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The end of evil is the consumption of its followers. The end of evil is the consumption of its followers. They are condemned by the holy God, but they also hunt with intent to strike down his beloved followers. That's who we are. And so God will defend and deliver us. So shall their end be just and fitting. And it's not a time to gloat. I don't gloat over the fall of the wicked. Indeed, I I lament the fall of the destitute sinner being created in the image of God. And herein is my trust and faith in Christ. That I will be saved because I too was and sometimes I am destitute, but God saves me. And I stand in humility and I say, saved by the grace of God, there go I. The Lord redeems the soul of his servants, and none of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. You know, we're the redeemed. Uh, we walk into eternity uncondemned, as Romans 8 says. Our mark and banner is love, our walk, faith, and our courage, hope. We have a dread champion who is with us, who fights for us. It's always the right time to praise the Lord.
Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you uh, for your redemption. I thank you for your love. Father, I thank you for taking care of us. And sometimes it doesn't seem you're near, but we know you are. And when we look and don't see you, we can look to your scripture and see that, yes, you are. May we recognize you and may we praise you at all times. In Christ's name, amen.